0: Hello and welcome to the Maker Community Inc. podcast, Sleeping Instructions. These podcasts are designed to help you sleep. They are semi-educational because we will read through instruction manuals. If you are interested in the subject matter, it is educational. If you are not, it's not. But either way, instruction manuals tend to be boring and we will just read through them and you can fall asleep being educated or otherwise. In this episode, we are reading the first of a multi-part series looking at the Model T Ford Service Manual. Ford, the universal car. Ford Manual for Owners and Operators of Ford Cars and Trucks. Copyrighted 1919 by the Ford Motor Company. All rights reserved. Published by the Ford Motor Company, Detroit, Michigan, USA. It is a significant fact that nearly all Ford cars are driven by laymen, by owners who, in the great majority of cases, have little or no practical experience with things mechanical. The simplicity of the Ford car, and the ease with which it is operated, renders an intimate knowledge of mechanical technicalities unnecessary for its operation. The further fact that, that there are more than twenty thousand Ford service stations distributed throughout the civilized world, where adjustments and repairs may be had with no annoying delay, gives to Ford owners a singular freedom from mechanical annoyances which beset owners of cars having limited service facilities and distribution. But while it is not imperative, it is, however, altogether desirable that every Ford owner should thoroughly understand his car. With such knowledge at his command, he is always master of the situation. He will maintain his car more economically, prolong its usefulness, and he will also derive more pleasure from it, for it is a truism that the more one knows about a thing, the more one enjoys it. The mastery of a thorough knowledge of Ford construction Is by no means a difficult or time-consuming task. The Ford is the simplest car made. It is easy to understand and it is not difficult to keep in proper adjustment and repair. That the Ford construction may be thoroughly understood and that there may be an authoritative guide for the making of Ford adjustments, this book is published. Important It is most important that owners of Ford cars shall insist upon getting the genuine Ford-made materials, or parts, when having repairs or replacements made. This will be assured when the car is taken to the authorised Ford agent. Imitation, or bogus, counterfeit parts of inferior quality are being made and sold as Ford parts. Avoid their use by dealing with the authorised Ford agent the car and its operation. What must be done before starting the car? Before trying to start the car fill the radiator by removing cap at top with clean fresh water. If perfectly clean water cannot be obtained it is advisable to strain it through muslin or other similar material to prevent foreign matter from getting in and obstructing the small tubes of the radiator. The system will hold approximately three gallons It is important the car should not be run under its own power unless the water circulating system has been filled. Pour in the water until you are sure that both the radiator and cylinder water jackets are full. The water will run out of the overflow pipe onto the ground when the entire water system has been properly filled. During the first few days that a new car is being driven, It is a good plan to examine the radiator frequently and see that it is being kept properly filled. The water supply should be replenished as often as may be found necessary. Soft rainwater, when it is to be had in a clean state, is superior to hard water, which may contain alkalis and other salts which tend to deposit sediment and clog the radiator. See chapter on cooling system. What about gasoline? The 10-gallon gasoline tank should be filled, nearly full, and the supply should never be allowed to get low. When filling the tank, be sure that there are no naked flames within several feet, as the vapour is extremely volatile and travels rapidly. Always be careful about lighting matches near where gasoline has been spilled, as the air within a radius of several feet is permeated with the highly explosive vapour. The small vent hole in the gasoline cap should not be allowed to get plugged up as this would prevent proper flow of the gasoline to the carburetor. The gasoline tank may be drained by opening the petcock in the sediment bulb at the bottom. How about the oiling system? Upon receipt of the car, see that a supply of medium light, high grade gas engine oil is poured into the crankcase through the breather pipe at the front of the engine. A metal cap covers it. Down under the car in the flywheel casing, the reservoir which holds this oil, you will find two pet cocks. Pour oil in slowly until it runs out of the upper cock. Leave the cock open until it stops running, then close it. After the engine has become thoroughly limbered up, the best results will be obtained by carrying the oil at a level midway between the two cocks but under no circumstances should it be allowed to get below the lower cock. All other parts of the car are properly oiled when it leaves the factory. However, it will be well to see that all grease cups are filled and that oil is supplied to necessary parts. See cut number 18 and also the chapter on lubrication. How a spark and throttle lever is used. Under the steering wheel are two small levers. The right-hand throttle lever controls the amount of mixture, gasoline and air, which goes into the engine. When the engine is in its operation, the farther this lever is moved downwards towards the driver, referred to as opening the throttle, the faster the engine runs and the greater the power furnished. The left-hand lever controls the spark, which explodes the gas in the cylinders of the engine. The advancing of this lever advances the spark, and it should be moved down notch by notch until the motor seems to reach its maximum speed. If the lever is advanced beyond this point, a dull knock will be noticed in the engine. See chapter on ignition. There is a diagram of the steering wheel, showing reduction gears meshing with the teeth of the gear case and the centre pinion. Where should these levers be when starting the engine? The spark lever should usually be put in about the third or fourth notch of the quadrant, the notched half circle on which the levers operate. The throttle should usually be opened about five or six notches. A little experience will soon teach you where the levers should be placed for proper starting. Care should be taken not to advance the spark lever too far, as the engine may kick back. What else is necessary before starting the engine? First, see that the hand lever, which comes up through the floor of the car, left of the driver, is pulled back as far as it will go. The lever in this position holds the clutch in neutral and engages the hub brake, thus preventing the car moving forwards when the engine is started. Second, after inserting the switch key in the switch on the coil box, throw the switch lever as far to the left, as it will go to the point marked Magneto. This switch connects the Magneto with the engine. The engine can't be started until it is on and the throwing off of this switch stops the engine. How is the engine started? If the car is not equipped with a starter, the engine is started by the lifting of the starting crank at the front of the car. Take hold of the handle and push firmly towards the car till you feel the crank ratchet engage. Then lift upwards with a quick swing. With a little experience, this operation will become an easy matter. Don't, as a usual thing, crank downwards against the compression, for then an early explosion may drive the handle vigorously backwards. This does not mean, however, that it is not advisable when the car is hard to start to occasionally spin the engine by the use of the starting handle. But be sure the spark lever is retarded when spinning or cranking the engine against compression otherwise a sudden backfire may injure the arm of the operator. When the engine is cool it is advisable to prime the carburetor by pulling on the small wire at the lower left corner of the radiator whilst giving the engine two or three quarter turns with the starting handle. If the car is equipped with a starter, the spark and throttle levers should be placed in the same position on the quadrant as when cranking by hand and the ignition switch turned on. Current from either battery or magneto may be used for ignition. However, we recommend that the magneto be used at all times. The magneto was designed to furnish ignition for the Model T engine and better results will be obtained by operating in this way. Special attention must be paid to the position of the spark lever, as a too advanced spark will cause serious backfiring, which in turn will bend or break the shaft in the starter. The starting motor is operated by a push button, conveniently located in the floor of the car at the driver's feet. With the spark and throttle levers in the proper position and the ignition switch turned on, press on the push button with the foot. This closes the circuit between the battery and the starting motor, causing the pinion of the Bendix drive shaft to engage with the teeth on the flywheel, thus turning over the crankshaft. When the engine is cold, it may be necessary to prime it by pulling out the carburetor priming rod, which is located on the instrument board. In order to avoid flooding the engine with an over rich mixture of gas, the priming rod should only be held out for a few seconds at a time. How is the engine best started in cold weather? As gasoline does not vaporise readily in cold weather, it is naturally more difficult to start the motor under such conditions. The usual method of starting the engine when cold is to turn the carburetor dash adjustment One quarter turn to the left in order to allow a richer mixture of gasoline to be drawn into the cylinders. Then hold out the priming rod while you turn crank from six to eight one quarter turns in quick succession. Or turn the motor over a few times with the starter. Another method of starting a troublesome cold engine is as follows. Before you throw the magneto switch, close the throttle lever. Hold out the priming rod while you give crank several quick turns or turn the motor over a few times with the starter. Then let go of the priming rod, being careful that it goes back all the way. Place the spark lever in about the third notch and advance the throttle lever several notches. Throw on the switch, being sure to get it on the side marked Magneto. Give the crank one or two turns or close the starting switch and the motor should start. After starting the motor is it advisable to advance the spark 8 or 10 notches on the quadrant and let the motor run until thoroughly heated up. If you start out with a cold motor you will not have much power and liable to stall. The advantage of turning on the switch last or after priming is that when you throw on the switch and start the motor You have plenty of gas in the cylinders to keep the motor running, thereby eliminating the trouble of the motor starting and stopping. After motor is warmed up, turn carburetor adjustment back one quarter turn. To facilitate starting, many drivers make a practice of stopping their engine by pulling out on the priming rod, which has the effect of shutting off the air suction and feeling the cylinders full of a very rich gasoline vapour. This should not be done unless the car is going to stand overnight or long enough to cool off. If the motor is stopped in this way and then started when hot, starting is apt to be difficult on account of the surplus gasoline in the carburetor. What function does the hand lever perform? Its chief purpose is to hold the clutch in neutral position. If it were not for this lever, the driver would have to stop the engine whenever he left the driver's seat. It would also be unable to crank the engine without the car starting forward with the first explosion. When pulled back as far as it will go the hand lever acts as an emergency brake on the rear wheels by expanding the brake shoes in the rear wheel drums. Therefore the hand leader should be far back as it will go when cranking the engine or when the car is at rest. It should only be in a vertical position and not far enough backwards to act as a brake on the rear wheels when the car is to be reversed. When the car is operating in high or low speeds, the hand lever should be all the way forward. How do the foot pedals operate? The first one, towards the left, operates the clutch. When pressed forwards, the clutch pedal engages the low speed. When halfway forward, the clutch is in neutral, i.e., disconnected from driving mechanism of the rear wheels and the releasing of this pedal engages the high speed clutch. The center pedal operates the reverse. The right-hand pedal operates the transmission brake. How is the car started? Slightly accelerate the engine by opening the throttle. Press the clutch pedal halfway forwards thereby holding the clutch in a neutral position whilst throwing the hand lever forwards, then press the pedal forwards into low speed and when under sufficient headway, 20 to 30 feet, allow the pedal to drop back slowly into high speed, at the same time partially closing the throttle, which will allow the engine to pick up its load easily. With a little practice, the change of speeds will be easily accomplished and without any appreciable effect on the smooth running of the machine. How is the car stopped? Partially close the throttle. Release the high speed by pressing the clutch pedal forwards into neutral. Apply the foot brake slowly but firmly until the car comes to a dead stop. Do not remove foot from the clutch pedal without first pulling the hand lever back to neutral position or the engine will stall. To stop the motor Open the throttle a trifle to accelerate the motor and then throw off the switch. The engine will then stop with the cylinders full of explosive gas, which will naturally facilitate starting. Endeavour to so familiarise yourself with the operation of the car that to disengage the clutch and to pry the brake becomes practically automatic, the natural thing to do in case of emergency. How is the car reversed? It must be brought to a dead stop. With the engine running, Disengage the clutch with the hand lever and press the pedal reverse pedal forwards with the left foot, the right foot being free to use on the brake pedal if needed. Do not bring the hand lever back too far or you will set the brakes on rear wheels. Experienced drivers ordinarily reverse the car. By simply holding the clutch pedal in neutral with the left foot and operating the reverse pedal with the right. How is the spark controlled? By the left hand lever under the steering wheel. Good operators drive with the spark lever advanced just as far as the engine will permit. However, advancing the spark too far will cause a dull knock in the motor due to the fact that the explosion occurs too early. The spark should only be retarded when the engine slows down on a heavy road or a steep grade but care should be exercised not to retard the spark too far as this will result in late ignition which causes loss of power and overheating of the motor and may also result in warped, burned or cracked valves. Learn to operate the spark as the occasion demands. The greatest economy in gasoline consumption is obtained by driving with a spark advanced sufficiently to obtain the maximum speed. How is the speed of car controlled? The different speeds required to meet road conditions are obtained by opening or closing the throttle. Practically all the running speeds needed for ordinary travel are obtained on high gear and it is seldom necessary to use low gear except to give the car momentum in starting. The speed of the car may be temporarily slackened in driving through crowded traffic, turning corners, etc. by slipping the clutch, i.e. pressing the clutch pedal forward into neutral. Is it advisable for owners to make their own adjustments? The Ford is the simplest of all cars. Most of the ordinary adjustments an owner will soon learn to make for himself we must strongly recommend that when it becomes necessary to employ the services of a mechanic, the car be taken to a Ford mechanic, one of our own representatives, who thoroughly understands the car and who will have no motive for running up useless repair bills. The entire Ford organisation is interested in keeping every individual Ford car in constant operation at the lowest possible cost. We have known of much damage done to many cars by unskilled repairmen. What attention does the car need? Remember that a new machine requires more careful attention during the first few days that it is being driven than after the parts have become thoroughly worked in. The car, which is driven slowly and carefully when new, usually gives the most satisfactory service in the end. Never start out with your car until you are sure that it has plenty of oil and water. Frequently inspect the running gear. See that no unnecessary play exists in either the front or rear wheels, that all bolts and nuts are tight. Make a practice of taking care of every repair or adjustment as soon as its necessity is discovered. This attention requires but little time and may avoid delay or possible accident on the road. We aim to deliver the car in proper mechanical adjustment. Afterwards, it is plainly the duty of the driver to keep it in that condition. The Ford engine. What is the principle of the gasoline-driven engine? Gasoline, when mixed with air and compressed, is highly explosive. An explosion in a violent expansion caused by instantaneous combustion of confined gases. In the gasoline engine the mixture is drawn into a cylinder where it is compressed by an advancing piston and then exploded by an electric spark which sends the piston downwards and through the connecting rod imparts a rotary motion to the crankshaft. What are the functions of these pistons? On the downward stroke the suction of the piston draws the fresh gas from the carburetor through the inlet pipe and valve into the cylinder. The upward movement of the piston compresses the gas into a very small space between the top of the piston and the depression in the cylinder head, known as the combustion chamber. The compressed gases exert a pressure of approximately 60 pounds per square inch. At this point, the electric spark generated by the magneto explodes the gases driving the piston downwards thus producing the power which turns the crankshaft. On the next stroke upwards the piston drives the exploded gas out through the exhaust valve and pipe to the muffler. Connecting rod I have removed. It is a steel rod connecting piston and crankshaft. Should the babbit bearing become worn or burned out through lack of oil, a knocking in the engine will result, in which case the entire connecting rod should be replaced. To make this replacement, drain oil from the crankcase, take off cylinder head, remove detachable plate on bottom of crankcase, disconnect connecting rod from crankshaft, take piston and rod out through top of cylinder. What is the valve arrangement? One intake and one exhaust valve are located in each cylinder. The former admits the fresh gas drawn from the carburetor through the inlet pipe. The latter permits the exploded gas to be driven out through the exhaust pipe. The valves are alternately opened and closed by the cams on the camshaft striking against push rods, which in turn lift the valves from their seats. What about valve timing? In timing the engine the points of opening and closing of the valves are, of course, what should be considered. As the valves are properly timed at the factory when the engine is built, the necessity for re-timing would only occur when such parts such as the camshaft, time gears or valves were removed in overhauling the engine. In fitting the large time gear to the camshaft is it important to see that the cam points in a direction opposite to the zero mark. The time gears must also mesh so that the tooth marked zero on the small time gear will come between the two teeth on the large gear at the zero point. The time gears now being properly set, the exhaust valve on number one cylinder is open and the intake valve is closed the other valves being in the position indicated in the diagram cut number 3, which shows the correct position of the valves with the time gears properly set, according to punch marks on the gears, and also the relative position in their strokes. The firing order of the cylinders is 1, 2, 4, 3. The opening and closing of the valves being as follows. The exhaust valve opens when the piston reaches 5 sixteenths of bottom centre, the distance from the top of the piston head to the top of the cylinder casing, measuring 3 and 3 eighths inch. The exhaust valve will close on top centre, the piston being 5 sixteenths of an inch above the cylinder casing. The intake valve opens 1 to 16th after top centre and closes 9 sixteenths after bottom centre. The distance from the top of the piston to the top of the cylinder casing, measuring three and one eighth. The clearance between the pushrod and the valve stem should never be greater than one thirty-two, nor less than 164 The correct clearance is naturally halfway between these two measurements. The gap should be measured when the push rod is on the heel of the can. What about care of the valves? They seldom get out of order, but they do get dirty as a result of carbon collecting on the valve seats. These carbon deposits, by preventing proper closing of the valves, permit the gases under compression to escape, resulting in loss of power and uneven running of the motor. If, when turning the engine over slowly, there is a lack of resistance in one or more cylinders, it is probable that the valves need reed grinding. As the life of the engine depends largely upon the proper seating of the valves, it is necessary that they be ground occasionally. How are valves removed for grinding? 1. Drain radiator. 2. Remove cylinder head. 3. Remove two valve corners on the right side of the engine. 4. Raise the valve spring with the lifting tool and pull out the link pin under the valve seat. The valve may then be lifted out by the head. How are valves ground? For this work use of a good grinding paste of ground glass and oil procurable from auto supply houses. A convenient way is to put a small amount in a suitable dish adding a spoonful or two of kerosene and a few drops of lubricating oil to make a thin paste. Place the mixture sparingly on the bevel face of the valve. Put the valve in position on the valve seat, and rotate it back and forth, about a quarter turn a few times, with a forward grinding tool. Then lift slightly from the seat, change the position and continue the rotation, and keep on repeating this operation until the bearing surface is smooth and bright. The valve should not be turned through a complete revolution as this is apt to cause scratches running around the entire circumference of the valve and seat. When the grinding is completed, the valve should be removed from the cylinder, thoroughly washed with kerosene, and the valve seat wiped out thoroughly. Extreme care should be taken that no abrasive substance gets into the valves or valve guides. This can be avoided if the grinding paste is applied sparingly to the bevel face of the valve, if the valve seat is worn badly or seamed, it is best to have it reseated with a valve seating tool. This operation requires considerable skill, and perhaps had better be done by an expert mechanic. Care should be exercised against making too deep a cut, necessitating the retiming of the valve. When the valves and push rods are worn, what? When the valves or push rods become worn so as to leave too much play between them, thus reducing the lift of the valves and diminishing the power of the motor, it is best to replace the push rods with new ones. The clearance between the push rods and the valve stem should never be greater than one hundred thirty tooth nor one sixty fourth of an inch. If the clearance is greater the valve will open late and close early, result in uneven running of the motor. If the clearance is less than one sixty-fourth, there is a danger of the valve remaining partially open all the time. If replacing the push rod does not give the proper clearance, the valve should also be replaced. We do not recommend drawing out the valve stem, as the operation requires experience, and the price of the new part does not warrant the time and expense necessary to properly do the work. What about the valve springs? When the valves fail to seat themselves properly, there is a possibility that the springs may become weak or broken. A weak inlet spring would probably not affect the running of the engine, but weakness in the exhaust valve spring causes a very uneven action which is difficult to locate. The symptoms are a lag in the engine due to the exhaust valve not closing instantaneously and as a result, a certain percentage of the charge under compression escapes, greatly diminishing the force of the explosion. Weakness in a valve spring can usually be detected by the following method. Remove the plate, which encloses them at the side of the cylinder, and insert a screwdriver between the coils of the spring while the engine is running. If the extra tension thus produced causes the engine to pick up speed, the spring is obviously weak, and should be replaced with a new one. What cause knocking in the engine? There are several causes which may be enumerated as followed: 1. Carbon knock, which is by far the most common, resulting from carbonising of cylinders. 2. Knock caused by a too advanced spark. 3. Connecting rod knock. 4. Crankshaft main bearing knock. 5. Knock due to loose fitting piston or broken ring. six. Knock caused by the piston striking the cylinder head gasket. When the engine knocks from any cause whatsoever, the matter should promptly be investigated by an expert mechanic and difficulty corrected. How may the different knocks be distinguished? 1. The carbon knock is a clear, hollow sound and most noticeable in climbing sharp grades, particularly when the engine is heated. It is also indicated by a sharp rap immediately on advancing the throttle. 2. Too advanced spark will be indicated by a dull knock in the motor. 3. The connecting rod knock sounds like the distant tapping of steel with a small hammer and is readily distinguished when the car is allowed to run idly down grade, or upon speeding the car to 25 miles an hour, then suddenly closing the throttle. The tapping will be very distinct. 4. The crankshaft main bearing knock can be distinguished when the car is going uphill as a dull thud. 5. The loose piston knock is heard only upon suddenly opening the throttle, when the sound produced might be likened to a rattle. The remedies for these knocks are treated under their proper division. How is carbon removed from the combustion chamber? First, drain the water off by opening the petcock at the bottom of the radiator. Then disconnect the wires at top of the radiator and also the radiator connection attached to the radiator. Remove the 15 cap screws which hold the cylinder head in place. Take off the cylinder head and, with a putty knife or screwdriver, scrape the carbonised material from the cylinder head and top of the pistons, being careful to prevent the specks of carbon from getting into the cylinders or bolt holes. In replacing the cylinder head gasket turn the motor over so that number one and number four pistons are at top centre. Place the gasket in position over the pistons and then put the cylinder head in place. Be sure and draw the cylinder head bolts down evenly i.e. give bolt a few turns at a time. Do not over tighten them one on one end before drawing them up at the other. How are spark plugs cleaned? After removing the plug from the engine the points may be cleaned with an old toothbrush dipped in gasoline. However, in order to do the work thoroughly the plug should be taken apart by securing the large hexagon steel shell in a vise and loosening the pack nut which holds the porcelain in place. The carbon deposits can then easily be removed from the porcelain and shell with a small knife. Care should be exercised not to scrape off the glazed surface of the porcelain, otherwise it will be apt to carbonise quickly. The porcelain and other parts should finally be washed in gasoline and wiped dry with a cloth. In assembling the plug, care should be taken to see that the pack nut is not tightened too much so as to crack the porcelain. And the distance between the sparking points should be 132 of an inch, about the thickness of a smooth dime. Dirty plugs usually result from an excess of oil being carried on the crankcase or from using oil of poor quality. How is the power plant removed from the car? 1. Drain the water out of the radiator and disconnect the radiator hose. 2. Disconnect the radiator stay rods which hold it to the dash. 3. Take out two bolts which fasten the radiator to the frame and take the radiator off. 4. Disconnect the dash at the two supporting brackets which rest on the frame. 5. Loosen the steering post bracket fastened to the frame and the dash and steering gear may be removed as one assembly, the wires first having been disconnected. Six. Take out the bolts holding the front radius rods in the socket underneath the crankcase. 7. Remove the four bolts at the universal joint. 8. Remove pans on either side of cylinder casing and turn off gasoline. Disconnect feed pipe from carburettor. 9. Disconnect exhaust manifold from exhaust pipe by unscrewing large brass pack nut. 10. Take out the two cap screws which hold the crankcase to the front frame. 11. Remove bolts which hold the crankcase arms to the frames at the side, then pass a rope through the opening between the two middle cylinders and tie a loose knot. Through the rope, pass a 2x4 or a stout iron rod about 10 feet long and let a man hold each end. The third man take hold of the starting crank handle when the whole power plant can be lifted from the car to the workbench for adjustment. Connecting rod bearings, how adjusted? Connecting rod bearings may be adjusted without taking the engine out by the following method. One, drain off the oil. Two, remove the plate on the bottom of the crankcase, exposing the connecting rods. Three, take off first connecting rod cap and draw file the ends a very little at a time. 4. Replace the cap, being careful to see that the file marks correspond and tighten the bolts until the shaft fits snugly. 5. Test the tightness of bearings by turning over by the starting handle. Experienced mechanics usually determine when the bearing is properly fitted by lightly tapping each side of the cap with a hammer. 6. Then loosen the bearing and proceed to fit the other bearings in the same manner. 7. After each bearing has been properly fitted and tested, then tighten the cap bolts and the work is finished. Remember, there is possibility of getting the bearings too tight. Under such conditions, the babbit is apt to cut out quickly. Unless precaution is taken to run the motor slowly at start, it is a good plan after adjusting the bearings to jack up the rear wheels and let the motor run slowly for about two hours, keeping it well supplied with water and oil, before taking it out on the road. Whenever possible, these bearings should be fitted by an expert Ford mechanic. Worn connecting rods may be returned, prepaid, to the nearest dealer or branch house for exchange at a price of $1 each to cover the cost of rebabbitting. It is not advisable for any owner or repair shop to attempt the re of connecting rods or main bearings, for without a special jig in which to form the bearings, satisfactory results will not be obtained. The constant tapping of a loose connecting rod on the crankshaft will eventually produce crystallisation of the steel. Result? Broken crankshaft and possibly other parts of the engine damaged. Crankshaft main bearings. How adjusted? Should the stationary bearings in which the crankshaft revolves become worn, evidenced by a pounding in the motor, and need replacing or adjusting, proceed as follows. After the engine has been taken out of the car, remove the crankcase, transmission cover, cylinder head, pistons, connecting rods, transmission and magneto coils. Take off the three babbitted caps and clean the bearing surfaces with gasoline. Apply Prussian blue or red lead to the crankshaft bearing surfaces which will enable you in fitting the caps to determine whether a perfect bearing surface is obtained. Place the rear cap in position and tighten it up as much as possible without stripping the bolt threads. When the bearing has been properly fitted the crankshaft can be turned with one hand. If the crankshaft can not be turned with one hand, the contact between the bearing surfaces is evidently too close, and the cap requires shimming up, one or two brass liners usually being sufficient. In the case the crankshaft moves too easily with one hand, the shim should be removed and the steel surface of the cap filed off, permitting it to set closer. After removing the cap, observe whether the blue or red spottings indicate a full bearing the length of the cap. If spottings do not show a true bearing, the babbit should be scrapped and the cap refitted until the proper results are obtained. Lay the rear cap aside and proceed to adjust the centre bearing in the same manner. Repeat the operation with the front bearing, with the other two bearings laid aside. When the proper adjustment of each bearing has been obtained clean the babbit surface carefully and place a little lubricating oil on the bearings, also the crankshaft. Then draw the caps up as closely as possible, the necessary shims of course being in place. Do not be afraid of getting the cap bolts too tight as the shim under the cap and the oil between the bearing surfaces will prevent the metal being drawn into too close contact. If oil is not put on the bearing surfaces, the BABBIT is apt to cut out when the motor is started up before the oil in the crankcase can get into the bearing. In replacing the crankcase and transmission cover on the motor, it is advisable to use a new set of gaskets to prevent oil leaks. In the next part, we should continue looking at the Ford cooling system before the gasoline, ignition, Transmission, Axle, Muffler, Running Gear, Lubricating and Tyres. Thank you for listening to the Make Community Inc. podcast Sleeping Instructions. Tune in again when we be reading Sleeping Instructions for another manual and more of this manual.